God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Now, among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So this powerful Babylonian empire invaded Judah, and over an extended period of time, they just crushed God's people. So for the people that survived the invasion, only the very poorest were allowed to remain there. And for most others, they're forced to leave their homes in Judah and take up new, new homes in a foreign land called Babylon. So they were exiles. And Daniel was one of these. Um, historians believe that he was around the age of 16 at the time, and he had three notable friends with him, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, um, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. For some reason, those names stuck with them, but Daniel remains Daniel. I think it's because of a song that we sang as kids. But of all those taken into exile in Babylon, Daniel and the others were selected for this special service in the king's palace because they had the most potential. They had something to offer King Nebuchadnezzar and all of Babylon, so they were given this special treatment. Now remember, it says they were young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve a king. Don't we all want our kids to be those kind of kids? I mean, qualified to serve a king. That's I, Handsome, good-looking, those are my kids, you know. But, but if that's all that Daniel and his friends were, we'd never know their names. They were about so much more than those things. So think with me for a second. Put yourself in Daniel's shoes. Can you imagine being uprooted from your home, your family, your culture, your spiritual roots, and then being dropped off hundreds of miles from your home in a foreign place? Let's call it Las Vegas. You're 16, you're by yourself, you're in Las Vegas. I mean, Vegas, uh, could you trust yourself? Babylon is a foreign place. It's foreign to you, You're foreign to it. Your values, your beliefs, your God make no sense to the Babylonians. And in this case, you wonder, at 16, would I have started to wonder about whose values were right? The country that I came from, or this better, stronger, more powerful, just uh, more modern, cooler place? I mean, really, who's right? The losers or the winners here? And that's where the story gets, gets really interesting because it's here that Daniel's going to show us who he is at the core. At just 16, he takes this stand and he shows the whole world that he lives for God. So how do he do it? Let's pick it back up in verse 8. It says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So he knew he lived for God, and he demonstrated that when he resolved not to defile himself. 
That's basically the key phrase in the chapter, okay? And it's the force behind everything Daniel stood for. And it's this resolve, this evidence that he lived for God, that speaks to the whole rest of his story. He resolved not to defile himself. He made a conscious choice not to pollute or stain his reputation. And it wasn't easy, because remember, he's hundreds of miles from home. He's hundreds of miles from anything comfortable and normal for him. And the Babylonians aren't going to make it easy. So they do everything they can to try and break him. Remember, he's supposed to be reading the new literature and the new things. They're trying to brainwash him. They changed his surroundings. They threatened him. They even changed his name. Now, Daniel is a godly name. It meant that God judges. And they gave him a new pagan name, Belteshazzar, which meant Prince of Bel, a pagan god. So by the way, what's in a name? I think that we all can agree that as we study older cultures and older histories, that they put more emphasis on names then than we do today. But even today, a, main, a name means something. So I got to ask you this. How many of you were involved in Royal Baby Watch 2013? Will anyone admit it? All right, so I got a few hands. So of you, I mean, that was a big deal, but of you, how many hung in there for Royal Baby Name Watch 2013? It was a big thing, apparently, waiting to find out uh, what they would name the new prince, whose names would be chosen for him. I can't believe it's a thing, but it is. But anyway, names are still important today. So in addition to just royal family watching, um, there's a 2002 research paper, and the title is this, Why Susie Sells Seashells Down by the Seashore. I practiced that all week, and it came out okay. So... uh, This psychologist, Brett Pelham, said that people's names can greatly affect their life, even their career choice. He says that women named Laura often become lawyers, and men named Dennis often become dentists. I don't know if he's serious about that, but what he went on to say is that there's this thing called implicit egotism, and that means that we all have this tendency to pick things that remind us of ourselves even to pick professions that might remind us of the letters in our name. And so we all have this implicit egotism, and Daniel had this choice. Which name does he want to hold on to? One, Daniel, a name that reminds him that God judges, not him, that God's in control, not him, a humbling name, a name that says you are well, well below God. Or this new name, which meant he's a prince. A prince, and he's living in a palace. Now, it's a prince of a false god, but still, where would you choose? You want to be more like a prince or more like a humble nothing that you really are, right? I mean, Daniel had a choice to make. But even with the name change, he wouldn't break. So he remembered that he lived for God. And what's the problem with the food and wine anyway? In Daniel's eyes, it was defiled, polluted, Because according to Jewish law, he was forbidden from eating meat and drinking wine that had been sacrificed to false gods, and that was the case with all the food at the king's table. So i got to be honest, if it were me, I'd have a hard time saying no. Um, He's probably got friends that are just on the outside of the palace, and they're starving, and he doesn't want to join them. And he doesn't want to get kicked out, not only to join them, but because this king, not known for being all that compassionate... And so if I'm Daniel, I'm probably like, I'm hundreds of miles from home. My parents are gone. I'm not going back. I might as well get a good meal out of the deal. It's not like God's not a forgiving God. I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be okay. 
And I like how the Living Bible describes Daniel's resolve here. It says, Daniel just made up his mind not to eat the food. Many of our spiritual battles start right there in our mind as small, insignificant little things. You you know there's this voice that says, what's the big deal? Who's going to find out? You deserve it. And then as we give in to temptation, it becomes easier to stretch the truth and then take subsequent steps away. And before you know it, you'll trick yourself. You'll mislead your spouse. You'll say, it was just a business lunch. There was supposed to be a third and they didn't show up. Maybe you have selective memory while filling out your expense report and you make some tiny adjustments just to make sure you come out a little ahead. No one knows. Everyone does it. And who's watching anyway? Well, here's the challenge. Even when no one's looking, even when you're far away from home, Maybe you're spending the night with a friend, you're away at school. Make it your mission to live for God. And anything and everything, no matter how great or small. Because here's the thing too. In many ways, the story of Daniel in Babylon is really a story about you and me. You can say it how you want, but I'll say it this way. Um, We live in Babylon today. America's not that much different a place than where Daniel was. I'm not a doom and gloom guy, by the way. Um, I love this country. I wouldn't choose to live anywhere else. My hope and faith is in Jesus. I believe he's got a plan. I believe he's going to win. And so my optimism is high, but our whole world today is more like Babylon than we like to admit it. And at this time when Daniel was living, Babylon was the center of evil, pride, arrogance, and sexual immorality. And sometimes I feel like I'm living there today. And then you add this anti-Christian sentiment. The fact is we live in a very idolatrous world. And at varying levels, we're all guilty of worshiping these false gods of money or achievement or sex or a career. So here's what makes, that is what makes your story and my story similar to Daniel's. But as followers of Jesus, what we know is we're not here by accident. God had Daniel in Babylon for a purpose, not only in Babylon, but in the palace. And if you go on to read God, you know, this story, uh, you you know that God's going to use Daniel and others to change that empire for good. And so to remind us today that as a follower of Jesus, we're not here in this world, in this country, in this community, in your neighborhood, at your job on accident. Because as a follower of Jesus, we're here for a reason. We're exiles in this world. We're made for heaven. And I can't wait to get there. But I'm not going to waste my time here waiting to get there. So while we're here, we have a purpose. And that's to help people uh, find their way back to God. So as we share the hope and love of Jesus with others, as we bring light into dark places, it's our job in our neighborhood, in our apartment, in our school hallways, in college campuses, in our offices, we can make a difference. So that's what's happening with Daniel because he knew who he lived for. He resolved not to defile himself, but then he did something else which really helped make sure that he stayed there. Let's go back to verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself. So he verbalized his intentions. He asked the chief official for permission. He said, I can't do this. I can't eat this. My God will not permit me to eat these things. I think he could have used other excuses. And I think he could have even used, been creative and come up with other excuses that weren't really a lie. Right? He could have said, I'm allergic. Now, he wouldn't have meant physically allergic, but spiritually, morally, religiously allergic to these foods. So he could have come up with something else. Or, hey, I've already eaten today. Thanks, but no thanks. And wouldn't you have been tempted to do something else? 
But he didn't do that. He was 100% up front, and he said, this is against who I am. We can learn something powerful from that. Because you're going to find yourself in situations, even this week, where it's going to be important for you to come right out in the open and say, this is what I believe. This is who I am. I just won't do that. Now, maybe Daniel, you think maybe Daniel was making a bigger deal out of this than is really necessary. It's not like Joseph. A couple of months ago, we, we remember uh, reading about Joseph, who was frequently tempted to sleep with his boss's wife. I mean, this is just food. It's just wine. Can't you hear the enemy whispering in Daniel's ear? What happens in Babylon stays in Babylon, right? But despite that, somehow Daniel resolved himself, resolved not to defile himself that way. So part of that resolve was verbalizing his convictions with others. And it's interesting that, and I think he probably realized this, but whether he realized it or not, by verbalizing it, he was adding a layer of accountability to his stance. His, he had accountability with this official, his nutritionist, if you will, And he also had accountability with his three friends that were with him. We won't do this. Right, guys? You know, a little bit of help, a little bit of accountability. So there are lots of studies that suggest if you write down your goals, you're more likely to reach them. Just by writing them down, because it forces you to articulate them in a clear way, and there's an action involved in writing them down. It's verbalizing your intentions. So don't be afraid to tell your, uh, your co-worker on the next business trip, hey, I'm going to go. I just can't participate in the, uh, the late night stuff anymore. Get in front of your family and say, for the good of the family, we're getting an internet search filter. Make it known to your family about what you're about. Make it known to the people you work with. If you're getting into a dating relationship, make it known early on that you believe God has preserved sex for marriage and so you have certain boundaries when it comes to physical intimacy. For those of you getting ready to head back to school or maybe it's back to college, Sit down with your roommate early on. Let him know what you're about and how you want to live. Daniel knew who he lived for, and for that reason he chose not to defile himself. He verbalized his intentions. And let's look at what happens next. Verse 9. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Don't miss how much grace is involved there. God caused the official to show favor and compassion. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than any of the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. So this this official, this nutritionist assigned by the king, had a challenge. He was at risk. And so Daniel came up with this, this particular plan because he trusted God. How is Daniel going to stay healthy if he's not eating? Well, he trusted God. He resolved not to defile himself. He said it out loud. He verbalized his intentions. And then he trusted God. He didn't know how it was going to work out. He has to eat. But he chose to trust God. And God gave him the wisdom to come up with a plan that worked. A plan that gave Daniel the opportunity to maintain his integrity. And we see it here in verse 11. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he, being the official, agreed to this and tested them for ten days. So in defining moments like this, the challenge is trusting God. 
Can I trust God to give me the patience to deal with the ridicule from my friends? Can I trust God to protect my job when I tell my boss, no? Can I trust God with my finances if I need to report a mistake? Can I trust God to take care of my physical needs as I choose to wait on Him? Daniel was putting more than his reputation, satisfaction, or personal comfort on the line. He was turning his entire life over to God. Ten days to make a noticeable difference in the appearance of these four boys. I mean, that's trust. The question then, which Daniel answered very clearly is, will I be an influence or will I allow myself to be influenced by my culture? More than you realize, in just a few minutes, we're all going to walk out those doors and we're going to walk right back into the thick of it all. And what we're going to have to do in that moment, whether it's today, tomorrow morning, or when we move into dorms in a couple months or a couple weeks, who do I live for? We've got to make the decision, who do we live for? And you're going to have to decide whether you will be an influence or whether you will allow yourself to be influenced by the culture. So Daniel had those two choices. Sort of the two choices, fear or faith. Because they had every reason to cut off his head. And I know that our situations aren't that immediately serious. But you know better than anyone else how difficult it can be living for God in your situation, feeling all alone. And that's why words like these can make all the difference. From the New Testament, from Philippians 4, verse 13, says, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. God will give you the strength that you need because He's always there for you, just like He was there for Daniel. So pick it up in verse 15 now. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables instead. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So even in a far-off place, a place like Babylon, Daniel had the strength to make the right decision. And I think the reason he was able to do that is because he made this decision about whom he was going to live for a long time before he ever got to Babylon. He didn't wait for it to sneak up on him. He didn't wait till he got there. The foundation of his life was built on a relationship with God. God at the very center. Daniel lived for God. So parents, make the decision now, this week, about what your family's schedule is going to look like this fall. How busy or crowded is appropriate. I don't have the answer for you, but you need to decide that now. Because once things start rolling, you're going to be real likely to squeeze something extra in. Students, make the decision now about what kind of student you're going to be this year. What kind of events are you going to attend? Who are you going to go with? How will you treat those other kids at school? You know who they are, the ones that get picked on or the ones that do the picking. Decide now because once you get there, everything gets foggy. Or how about this? We should make the decision now about whether we're going to engage in gossip this week because once the conversation is started, if you don't have a ready response, it's going to be tough to steer that conversation clear. How diligently are you going to work this week? Are you going to be light in your, in your workplace? An example for your coworkers in your hard work and in your diligence? Whether you have been or not before, how are you going to act this week? Husbands, how are you going to treat your wives this week? And wives, how about your husbands? 
You all know the buttons to push. You know them. Resolve not to push them this week. Let's try it. Let's try it for one week. This week, let's resolve now to live for the Lord. Let's resolve not to defile ourselves. Second, let's verbalize it. Write it down somewhere or share it with a friend. And third, trust God in the small things, in the big things. These are the example. This is, this is the example that Daniel sets for us. But again, it begins with letting God know that you want to live for Him. So we're going to close with prayer now. And if that's your desire today, to acknowledge that you want to live for God, now's your chance. Before you walk out the doors and back into the chaos, make the decision now. So um, let's bow our heads. And if you've never let God know that you want to live for Him, you can do that right now. Just repeat this um, after me to God. God, I want to live for you, not for me. I need your help to do that. So God, change my life. Use me right where I'm planted to live for you. And Father God, in our marriages and in our relationships, in our communities at work and at, at school, in our neighborhoods, even in our homes, God, um, we want to live for you. Thank you for the example of Daniel. We know that we can't do this on our own. And so we thank you that we're not alone. We thank you for sending Jesus to die for us so that we can live for him. And we ask you, Lord, to be with us this week and help us as we work to bring people back to you. We're so thankful for this time today, for this church, for these people who love you, God. We're thankful. Be with us this week, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So it's interesting that uh, when offered food from the king's table in a faraway land, uh, Daniel stood strong and he waited. He waited for the Lord. And today, we have an opportunity um, to approach the Lord's table, the table of the king of kings. And so it's here that we are reminded of Christ's sacrifice. It's why living a life for him is a worthy one, because he died for us so that we could live for him. So in a moment, uh, we're going to invite you to come forward and take the elements. It's a, a little wafer of bread and a little cup of juice. If you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, then I invite you to come do that. If you don't know him that way yet, if you haven't made that decision, take the time to think about the story that we're all a part of here. This constant effort by God to find a way to to reach us, even when we wander away, to create a new plan to get back to us. So even, uh, even now, just reflect on that example of Daniel and his steadfast faith and desire. So I invite you to come, and you can, you can start now and to receive these elements. But as you come, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.